today we start this series on family on mission by reading from Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Um, And uh, different people are going to be preaching this series down here. I'm doing today. um, I already mentioned Wes will be with you next week. Kiara is going to preach part of this series. John will preach part of this series. Um, But between now and April 3rd, we're going to spend five weeks focusing on what it means to be a family on mission. Um, And... uh, it just feels like the timing is really right for that, you know, with everything that's happening and God expanding us. So we'll be talking about what the family is, what, it, what, what do we mean when we talk about a family on mission, what our part is in the family. Everybody has a part, a role in the family of God. And we're going to be talking about some hard stuff as well. Um, I've been thinking this last week about Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a German pastor while the Nazis were expanding their empire. And and the church, the German church, had largely capitulated to the Nazis. Um, But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this pastor who resisted. And part of that resistance was gathering Christian leaders who just couldn't be part of that system of empire anymore into communities. Sometimes they were in hiding. Dietrich Bonhoeffer eventually was martyred um, for his faith. Um, but uh, it, it was like a crash course in, in understanding Christian community. And one thing Dietrich Bonhoeffer says is that before we can really understand the joys of Christian community, uh, family on mission, we have to let our wish dream die of what we think Christian community should be. Um, and a lot of us have been on this journey, especially if you've met Jesus like as an adult, because it's like, oh, this is amazing, right? Hopefully it was for you. Like, people, people, you know, love me and they care about me and they want to be involved in my life. And then you encounter someone's funky, nasty attitude, right? <laughs> and so, so it, the wish dream dies eventually, right? And although I believe that largely the gospel tab is, is a healthy church when it comes to family on mission, there is no question that we are a group of people that have to forgive each other, um, that have to extend grace to each other. So we'll be talking about those things in these next few weeks as well. So if you're ever up at the Crestmont campus, you see painted on our wall are our values. One of our values is family on mission. Can we get to that, Rashad? I want to read uh, our value, family on mission. So this is our, our articulation, part of our articulation, this gospel tab, about what we imagine the church could be, the church that Jesus is calling us to be. The Father has adopted for himself a family made of every ethnic group and language. Our family is not defined by natural bloodline, social class, culture, affinity, or political tribalism. Go to the next slide. We are a family defined by Jesus. Our love and commitment for one another is forged in the crucible of mission. We are a sent family, one that goes and grows. There is room at this family's table for even more daughters and sons. And we welcome to our family, even those nobody else wants. That last line was actually one of the earliest prayers God gave us at the gospel tab since I've been here, maybe like 15 years ago. We just began to pray, God, send to us the people that nobody else wants. And um, we wanted that grace to rest on us. So let's look at how Jesus formed his family on mission. Luke chapter 6. You can also read this account in Mark and Matthew, their own versions of it. But we'll read out of Luke today. Um, It says this in Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So he's been in prayer all night. 
Verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. That word apostle really just means sent one or messenger. Um, And there's no doubt that these names we're about to read played a significant foundation laying role in the history of the church. These are Jesus' 12 original apostles. Um, But we also believe that apostolic gifting, apostolic grace still rests on people today because one of the things that we confess even in the ancient creeds is that what Jesus has left is one holy Catholic meaning universal and apostolic church, a sent church, right? And so this grace is on us as well. So he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him in healing them all. So I just want to make two very simple observations out of this passage today. First of all, that the family that Jesus calls is always an unlikely one. God's family is an unlikely one. Um, Jesus calls to himself in this passage after a night of prayer, which I'll say more about in a second, a diverse group of people. These men have different cultural backgrounds. I'm not going to have time to get into all of this this morning, how all of them differed from each other. But this is a group who has different cultural backgrounds. They represent different social classes. Some are wealthier than others. Some have gotten wealthier in shady ways. And other, others in the group feel some type of way about that. Um, They certainly have different political views. Notice one of them, Simon the Zealot. Uh, That phrase is probably like a political marker. And so he had probably been involved in very active ways in political movements, especially to try to get rid of Roman occupation, Roman influence in the land of Israel. So they have different political views, different temperaments. You can see this. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see that There's uh, just different personalities in this group. Really, none of them are the best qualified for this. You know what I mean? And Jesus calls them all together and puts them into this family. But this is only the beginning of God's diverse family. Because the family will only get more diverse during Jesus' ministry. And especially after Pentecost, once the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the church... And especially in the book of Acts, then we start to see all different kinds of cultures included in this family, rich and poor. Jesus, by the end of his ministry, doesn't have, only have male disciples, but female disciples as well. Even think of the Ethiopian eunuch, who's one of the early converts in the book of Acts, who is a sexual and gender outsider. All of, of this diversity coming into a family to follow Jesus. So here's my question. What makes a family like that work? Because that's a mess, you know? (laughs) What makes a family like that? Like, that sounds good, but it doesn't take long before we get around people who are different than us, and we realize this is a lot harder. Our wish dream dies, right? 
Well, I just want to suggest this morning that what makes the family work is not us sharing the same culture. And and it's worth saying, by the way, because of course we come into Jesus' family, we come into the church from different cultural backgrounds. But I know some churches that try to solve the issue of getting the family to work by forcing a culture onto everybody, right? It's like, God, act like us, look like us, dress like us. Then you can be part of us, right? Uh, Create these controlling environments. Um, But it doesn't work. Um, The conflicts still happen. The issues still happen. Um, You know, politics. I know churches that try to organize around politics. And I'm friends with churches who are more on one side of the political spectrum or more on the other. I know churches that really try to form their culture around a political stance and political involvement. And listen, especially in places uh, where people have been hurt and marginalized by systems, well, of course we're going to get involved in these issues. But it cannot be what holds the family together, right? Um, Because we're going to disagree on things. Um, I saw someone post something this morning on Facebook. They're not in this room. But they posted something on Facebook, and I just didn't agree with it. You know what I mean? I was just like, that's not how I feel about that issue, right? So if that's going to be what we form a family around, then we're, we're going to miss out on something. I know a lot of churches that really try to form their family around a personality. So it's our, it's our love for this pastor or this leader or this person that holds us together. And that might last for a little bit, but can I tell you something that's kind of like the underbelly of environments like that? Is that then if you don't fit in with that pastor or that pastor doesn't like you, uh, you're going to be excluded from the family pretty quickly. And I know a lot of people who have found themselves on the wrong side of a charismatic leader, right? And not to mention it's idolatry. Um, There was a person or a personality was never supposed to be Right, what held the family together. And let me just remind you, Gospel Tab, in these days where I've announced my transition out of this lead pastor role, that our family was never held together by Joel Repick. Joel Repick didn't die for your sins or fill you with the Spirit or, or release you to ministry, right? And we're audacious enough to believe that Jesus in our midst, not a pastor or personality in our midst, is enough, right? Or I know churches that really just try to make it all about the mission. And hear what I'm saying, because we talk about mission all the time. Today we're talking about like family on mission. Um, but hear what I'm saying. Even a mission, a, a way to serve a group of people or a community or um, you know, a city, these things in and of themselves will not hold a family together. It just won't. The family won't get held together um, just by some mutual mission that we have. This really diverse family, this unlikely family, is only held together by one thing, more specifically one person, and his name is Jesus. It is his presence among us, his lordship over the family, his invitation to us that holds the family together. I want you to know that the soil of culture As beautiful as culture is, and as much as Jesus wants to work in culture, the soil of culture is too shallow for the roots of family to go deep. Uh, The soil of personality or the soil of politics, even the soil of our collective mission together is too shallow to hold this family together. We're too diverse. 
We're too unlike each other. We don't have enough shared history. We had two big or small personalities or whatever. Some of us don't smell the right way or whatever. You know what I mean? We just don't. <laughs> the smells are too intense. It's just like for all these reasons, we need deep soil. And the only soil deep enough that I know of that can hold that kind of family together where the roots can go deep is the soil of Jesus' presence among his people. And there's an interesting thing when Jesus is really Lord in a family, not just when we say it and it ends up being just a personality, or when we say it and it ends up being a mission, or we say it and it ends up just being our culture or whatever. I'm saying when Jesus is really Lord among a group of people, when he is present and active among us in a tangible way, something happens, there is kind of a... um, there is kind of a restraint, a carefulness that we begin to show with each other. And here's why. It's because we begin to realize that Jesus invited me to this family, extended his arms, but he invited you too. And this means that you are not just a person that I can use for my own end. You're not a person that I can ignore. You're a person who Jesus picked for the party. You're a person who Jesus picked for the mission. You're a person who's valuable in this thing. And that's going to change how I view you. Even when you do things wrong and the family is messy, we do things wrong. I've really learned this about as a parent because my kids don't always disagree. Sorry, I won't say too much. They don't, they don't, they don't always agree, all right? And so, you know, they have disagreements or whatever. And if you've been a parent... Or if you've led a youth ministry, or if you've, you know, if you've been in authority over children and youth in any way, then you know what it's like to be able to see who was wrong in the disagreement. It's like, no, 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 that was your fault, right? Like, not your fault. You know what that feels like, and still to 100% be for both of those kids, yeah. right? It's like families can talk about what's wrong, Right? We can talk about who messed up. We can, we can say, especially if we're talking about ourselves, we can say, look, I did the wrong thing. No, that's my bad, right? That's me. Like, we can say that, but we can remember that we have a father who invited us into this family that even when one of us is wrong, is for all of us yeah. in perfect love. That's going to change the way I treat you, or at least it should. It's going to change the way I talk about you. It's going to change the way I value you. And we all have stories, don't we? Where God, like, don't you wish you could just pick the team, but instead, like, God picks the team. And you've been praying, like, that you be holy and patient, all these things. And then he puts these people, you know what I mean, like, around you. And God has a way of answering our prayers through challenging people. I wish it weren't the case. But we've all experienced that before, right? So let me tell you a, tell you a story. Um, there was this guy who is licensed in the same denomination that I'm licensed in, and I could not stand this homie. I could not. And let me tell you something. That is so rare for me. I almost never, just my personality, I just love people. I rarely meet someone who causes those emotions to come up in me. But this guy was that, for sure, all right? And so for whatever reason, he just got on me. I didn't like the way he did ministry. I didn't like the way he talked. I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't like it. You know what I mean? Like, for all these reasons. 
And I kept it. I kept it. <laughs> I can only think two that. Well, it's because Jesus changed my heart. I can only, I'm only down to two. Alright. <laughs> the list was longer. So anyway. So Jesus keeps checking off the list. Alright, so say anyway, it was just bad, but I kept it, I kept it like a good holy Christian person. I just bottled it all up inside. You know what I mean? Like I didn't didn't talk to anybody about it. Except I did to a few people, right? Because you do too, right? And so, you know, with some people, you know, when I felt emboldened, I'd be like, can you believe he does this? Can you believe he does that? I'd say this stuff. Well, get this. This is, this is so year long ago, so I can tell the story. I was in the ordination process, right? And I um, fly to a city where we're having a meeting for ordination, and I planned so bad. Like, I didn't check to see how close the hotel was to the, you know, to where the meeting was. I didn't even think about a rental car, whatever. And so, <laughs> Chelsea was clearly not involved. I'll just say that. Um, and so, anyway, I fly to this city. Because this is just me. I'm like, let's just go and see what happens. So, I fly to the city. Things aren't planned out. And guess who was on that flight? Uh. Yeah. And guess who saved me for days? Because he had a car, he had, you know what I mean? And for days, I was dependent on this individual. And guys, he treated me so well. So well. I know. You all feel the conviction. <laughs> you all feel. I know. I know. He treated me so good. Like, just was so kind to me, so, and I, it didn't take me long to realize just how bad my attitude had been. Maybe some of my critiques had some legitimacy, I don't know. But the point is, God is for me, God is for him. And it might not be that we have to, like, work all closely together for our whole ministries or something. Like, personality is real, all that stuff is real. And yet, there is deeper soil than my opinions, that's holding the family together, yeah. right? It's like if the soil is just my opinions, well, that's real shallow soil, right? But if it's his love, right, then we will learn to honor each other. And I'm not simplifying this because we're going to talk about some hard things in the next few weeks. It's hard to figure out how to love each other. Yeah. It's hard to figure out how to honor each other. I don't always have the answers, but it's the territory that God calls us to. Here's my second and last point. That the context of our relationships in this unlikely family is up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. So this is also one of our values. So you get a two for one today. Up, in, and out. When we talk about this in our discipleship culture here at the tab, um, we're talking about up, our connection to God in worship and prayer, in our relationship with each other, and then out as we're sent on mission to the neighborhoods and the nations. But what I'm saying is that this is not just a family that just like hangs out or something. This right here is the context of our relationships, up, in, and out. It means we do hang out some, because that's the end part, but there's other things that form our relationships and cause us to go deep. Now, there's just something for you to reflect on here and something for the Gospel Tab family to reflect on. Because in my experience, disciples and churches uh, tend to be stronger in one or two of these, but not three. So for instance, uh, my kind of predisposition is up and out. So I could like worship and pray 
and then put me out on the street. You know what I mean? That's kind of my predisposition. That has meant that following Jesus means that I have to grow in the end in slowing down enough to share a meal with you, right? To let you serve me and me serve you, to, right? And I've grown a lot in that stuff over the years, but I would say that's true for individuals, but it's also true in, in wider church families as well. And I would say that when we lean into the one where we are weaker, um, that's where most of the growth happens and the connections happen between us. So first of all, notice in Luke 6, the up. Jesus prays all night before he picks his disciples. Jesus is not just picking people who he thinks he wants to hang out with. As a matter of fact, this will drive you crazy. He includes in the family a traitor. He includes in the family someone with major character issues. And that's just like Jesus to do that stuff, right? So he listens to his father, and then from that time spent in prayer, he picks these initial apostles. But one thing we know from all of the Gospels is that Jesus invites them over time into that place of prayer. The disciples end up asking, Lord, teach us how to pray. He ends up teaching them how to pray. He invites them into that space. Jesus is not just praying about them and for them. Jesus is going to do this with them. And Jesus, by his presence, by his spirit, is still doing this with us today. I want you to know that relationships in the family on mission are formed and forged and sustained in these places of prayer and encountering his presence. Um, we, we used to have, like in the early days, we would hold our prayer meetings in here. And we still do it sometimes. Um, but we would hold our prayer meetings in here and um, we never knew how to end the times because God's presence would visit us so strongly and, um, you know, and, and these miracles would happen and we'd see people get healed and these gifts were manifesting. And it's just like, man, you're just caught up in God's presence with each other and you just don't even know how to end those times. And friends of mine from Atlanta, Brian and Anna are here today and we have a mutual friend, Dale. One time Dale was in this room with us uh, praying on one of those times. And we were like, we never know how to, how to end this. And he said, he said, you know what's a great way to end it? High fives. Here, let me give you a high five. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that made its way into our culture. And it was perfect. Do you know why? Because we get filled with love for each other when we encounter Jesus that way. It's like, let's high five each other and be like, that was cool, right? What happened? We just experienced I will die for the people that I've been in prayer with. Um, I will die for the people that I've been on the ground with interceding for a city or a nation that we've wept tears over our community with. I'll die for those people. And so when we connect with God and up, he's forging something in us in those places. Of course, there's the in, and this one's obvious. Do you know that for Jesus, tables became the primary place where he formed people, not pulpits, tables. And the early Christians, I don't know the first one that used a pulpit, but it wasn't like for a really long time, right? Like it was tables, it was meals. That's such a beautiful thing because even if you're different than someone, we all have to eat. There's something leveling about a table. There's something that gets rid of the differences between us, of the power dynamics between us. And for Jesus and the early Christians, so much of life together surrounded a table. 
Um, and I want you to know, I, the programs that we participate in, um, they're really, really good, but they will never be substitutes for tables and homes and shared meals. And so Gospel Tab family, invite each other over yeah. to eat. And don't make it fancy. Order some pizza. You know what I mean? Some Pizza Hut pizza. Just whatever. <laughs> you don't got to make it fancy. Some frozen pizza. You don't got to make it fancy. You got So just do whatever you got to do. Um, to create space, tables. You're unbelieving friends too, by the way. We have this phrase in our family on mission because the family goes and grows that people should belong before they believe, right? They can belong at your table before they believe what you believe. So we can open our tables to people. And then lastly, the out. It says in our value statement that our relationships are forged in the crucible of mission. What does that mean? Notice that Jesus... Prays to his father, that's the up. He invites them into community with each other, that's the in. He's going to eat with these guys, walk with these guys, laugh with these guys for years, applaud with them. And then there's the out. He takes them out into the crowds, and there's power pulsating from Jesus, and demons are, are fleeing out of people, and people are getting healed. And they get to experience this together. And that is part of how the family on mission is formed as well. We get to be trained together for mission, right? Ultimately by Jesus, but also by each other. We get to witness the things that Jesus does in our neighborhoods and the nations. You know what that creates among a group of people? It creates a set of stories. This is one of the ways you can tell if a real family has formed. Every family has stories. Even broken families, right, have stories that get told. Right? From person to person to person. Well, one of the ways you can tell God has made us a family is because there's these collective stories that get retold. And that's so true about the Gospel Tab family. There are, and I retell so many of them, you must get bored, but I, I tell, we have these stories of healings and these stories of answered prayer and these stories of how God worked among us. Do you know that every time the leadership team, the men and women who are on our leadership team, the elders and deacons, get together, we eat a meal, table, And then we tell stories. Before we ever get to the business of shepherding things at the gospel tab, we just tell stories of what he did among us in the last month. And it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Every month, you know, there's these stories that we're telling to each other, and those stories get passed down. Um, We experience the setbacks of mission together. Because sometimes we prayed for something that didn't happen like we thought. There is so much disappointment in mission. But we get to do that together, and that's actually forming our bonds together as well. And we get to celebrate the victories together. John, if you could come play. I'm going to close here. Um, let me tell you a story, and it's, I'm going to tell you right now. I think I've shared this before, but this isn't like a victory breakthrough story. This is a setback story. But when I think of it's, it's crazy. The longer I follow Jesus with all of you, and I think about family on mission, I think way more about the setback stories. There's something about the way we grieve with each other that holds the family together, right? There's something about how grief in a family actually pulls the family together if we'll let God redeem it. So it wasn't all that long ago that I'm standing out here on Franklin Avenue, and the story was in my mind because we're here today. Standing out here on Franklin Avenue with one of the pastors from our district, and this car pulls up like, Pulls up and like screeches to stop. And the guy gets out. I hadn't seen him for years, but I had a history with this guy. 
Um, when, when Chelsea and I lived in the row houses down here, we're packing our house for youth group over a decade ago. He was one of the teenagers that used to come in. So he's not a teenager anymore. But um, he pulls up and he's like, he still calls me Mr. Joel, which is funny. But he's like, Mr. Joel, because he's like 30. I'm 37. You know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm like, yo, stop that. Anyway, he's like, he's like, Mr. Joel, um, I, I've been thinking about you the last couple of days. I got to talk to you and I saw you here, right? Well, long story short, over the next few days, God starts to unravel him in just a really good way. I picked him up the next day. You just tell there were such deep issues. Um, you know, yeah, I'm not getting into details, but just deep, deep issues out in the streets. And um, you could just feel the enemy like tormenting him. Well, uh, I think it was that day. We ended up at Premier and some of us got to pray for him. Um, at some point, I just felt led to like give this guy a hug. He's, he's not really the kind of dude who probably would just like hug somebody. But I give him a hug. He starts crying on me so hard. Like guys beginning to move in, in, in him. Some of it, there's the stories within stories because some of it is the atmosphere of Premier and the way God works in that place. Um, and then uh, the next day, Jake, who's leading worship up at Crestmont today, um, uh, and I pick him up and we take him to the church and I notice that his eyes are drawn to the piano. And I was like, Jake, why don't you just start playing? We start playing. He falls apart, crying again. Like, he's like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't live this way anymore, right? You just feel, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who just felt this, but you can just feel the battle happening for his soul, right? It is so intense. He prays with us there. He's like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And you couldn't exactly tell everything that was happening. It felt more like a fight than a surrender, but... You can feel that happening in him. And he's like, listen, I'm going to meet you here tonight, and I want to get baptized. Um, he's like, I, I want to go all in. And so I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. Well, this was during the pandemic, so we weren't holding services. And uh, during the, the stay-at-home orders, and the pandemic's still ongoing. But during the, during the stay-at-home orders, so I gathered like 15 of us. At the Crestmont campus, we filled up a tub with water. We're like, we're going to baptize him. And then me and a friend went to go pick him up. I pull up to this house not far from here. And it is just like a party scene. Like just people are high, drunk, the whole thing. It was warm. People are selling out to the streets. And I just felt like, you know, that I, I'm sure some of you have had that feeling following Jesus on mission. You just like feel that like. Oh, Jesus, are you going to come through, you know? And he comes walking out the house right then, and I could just, just by looking at his face, I could tell what had happened. Just in those few hours, the enemy had messed with his mind, right? And he was questioning things, second-guessing things, and he's like, he's like, listen, Mr. Joel, I'll come down to the church and we can talk. I was like, good, I have people, I have the family ready, Right? Um, by the way, I know like we're so out of space in here. I don't, first of all, not everyone will be here every week. You know what I mean? But, but it's our first time. I know we're so out of space here, but there is nothing more like family on mission than figuring out how to make more room at the table. Yeah. Right? So I am so unconcerned. We'll figure it out. I don't have the answers, but please don't let that get to you. I'm like the church planning director for the district now. If I hear another comment 
about parking spaces or enough seats. I'm like, have you ever been to a family gathering, you know, where everyone's like trying to fit in and stuff like this? Like, we're the ones that turn church into a shopping experience or a, or a mall or a concert venue or whatever. It's like it should feel like this, right? Like people sitting everywhere, right? Family. So you'll figure it out. It'll be okay. All right? I don't have the answer, but you'll figure it out. Anyway, so I'm like, look, look, I've gathered the family back at the church. You can come. And um, I could just tell. He was like, he was like, well, let me take my friend somewhere I could tell it was a bad situation. He's like, let me take my friend somewhere. And um, you know what me and my friend did? We, fo- we followed him in the car. <laughs> it was like gospel squad. Like, it's like, we're, we're like following him in the car and, and we're like paying attention to his blinker. He's like going back up to the church. And every time, like, the blinker kind of went in the direction of the church, we're like, hallelujah, yes, Jesus, you're doing it. And every time it went the other direction, we're like, oh, no. <laughs> Eventually, I realized I was going to get arrested, so I stopped following him. Um, and long story short, like, we drove back to the church, and he never showed up. As a matter of fact, after that, he got arrested, not long after that. And then I didn't see him for months until just, like, a week ago, we waved at each other because he lives not far from here. Um, and we waved at each other. And I'm sure we'll reconnect sometime soon, but I hadn't seen him for the longest time. Why am I telling you this setback story? Here's why. You know what we did? Because 15 of us had gathered. You know what we did? We worshiped. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I don't want to exaggerate. It's like a couple hours. A couple hours. We just worshiped in this place of grief and setback. And, oh, Jesus, we so want to see you break in. And have the victory. And we believe you're going to. But there's just a setback here. Like this is, a, this is a real battle, right? For the souls of people. And we just got to grieve with each other. And worship together. And, and when I think of the family on mission, so very often I think of those moments. Yeah. Right? When it felt like setback. But we had each other. And we got to grieve and we got to cry out to God and believe that his word is still true no matter what we're seeing and believe that he's going to have the breakthrough. That's how we get to the next breakthrough as a family on mission. We worship our way through the setbacks to the next breakthrough on mission, right? And God calls us to that. As a matter of fact, we'll mobilize some prayer ministers, I think, here soon. But I don't know what setbacks you've experienced personally or as a family on mission, but there's always setbacks in the mission. There's always the prayer that we know, we believe God's going to answer it, but just, we just can't see the way forward. So there was a prophetic theme here this morning on that, unplanned. Um, and so why don't we just worship?